um, with like my own tensions, my own identity, my own family. Um, a lot of times people think it's weird because I'm not actually out to my parents, um, but then they see me like out in the community, like naming myself as queer, doing this work, talking about it and being so um, um, like well-spoken about it, even though being closeted at home, right? Um, Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our third episode of Distinguished Figures, where we uh, interview intriguing activists, researchers, and trailblazers of various backgrounds. But before we get started, make sure you hit the like button and subscribe if you want to see our other content that is soon to come. For sure. Today, we are thrilled to introduce Charlie Lee, an incoming student at Stanford University and active community organizer from Fresno, California. Charlie has literally spent years advocating for Hmong people, queer people, queer Hmong people, and as well as speaking up about other issues such as diversity education in schools. Honestly, I'm just so impressed by everything um, he's done so far. Like just having this conversation is so cool. So. Yeah, definitely. You know, Charlie's a transfer student like us. Um, yeah, he's going in a similar boat, and it's so inspiring to see all the work he's done. Um, he's uh, helped with some bills to support his community and the youth in his community. Um, it's just great to see that he's working so hard to help the youth. And I mean, I can't do justice just by talking about it, but you know, yeah, it's all amazing. So, with that said, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Hello, nice to meet y'all and talk to y'all today. Yes. So just to start off, could you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so hello, my name is Charlie Lee. Um, I used to pronounce he, him, and his. Um, I am a community organizer here in Fresno, California. Um, so it's like more of the rural parts. Um, I come from a family of Hmong refugees that um, fled the secret war, um, also like the Vietnam War. Um, and came to America in the late 1980s. And I'm the youngest of my, of my three siblings and I, so I'm the youngest. Um, oh, and I'll just say a fun fact um, about my name because a lot of people ask. Uh, my name is actually a Hmong word, um, Chali, that was romanized by my parents to like um, be phonetically correct in like the American English language system. Um, and so I like to think that like my name is a perfect reflection of me being that we're both like Hmong American. That's interesting. It, that is a very fun fact. <laughs> um, so I guess going back to what you said about being a community organizer, we mm -hmm. know that um, you are heavily involved in um, Hmong innovating politics. So could you tell us more about like, what is HIP? I think it's the abbreviation or acronym for it. What yeah. is that and how'd you get involved? Yeah, so Hmong innovating politics, um, we also call it HIP um, as like the short acronym is a community organization in um, California. Um, it first started in Sacramento, California by a group of um, college students um, and has now like transformed into like this larger work. Um, now there's like a chapter in Fresno, um, the one that I work at um, and the one that I do a lot of my work in. Um, so it really seeks to promote um, Hmong and Southeast Asian like civic engagement and community relationship building. And so we went with politics being like in the name of Hmong innovating politics, then we really strive for um, that proper representation and that proper um, 
documentation of Armhung and Southeast Asian communities that has been like so overlooked by the larger Asian umbrella and by larger um, American society um, in general. So like what that looks like for us is doing a lot of the census work, making sure that our communities fill out the census so um, funds can be properly distributed. Mm. Um, also um, providing that grassroots organization um, and organizing tactics of like working from the ground up. So like talking with our community members, um, seeing what issues they have, learning where they get their news from, um, how we could be a, a better resource. Um, I think something really cool that um, we do is like we actually, um, a lot of times um, the staff members are the people who are like um, providing that transportation for our elders um, and for families to um, get to the ballots and to place their votes in. The work that I do mainly revolves around youth organizing and um, youth justice. Um, so I got involved with that through um, another like partnered organization, um, which was the Queer Hmong Intersectional Pride. Um, that I joined that was um, a partner with Hmong Inventing Politics. And so um, me being both queer and Hmong, then um, I joined that first. Um, and then therefore like it led um, to me being involved with Hmong Inventing Politics and the Youth Justice Program. Um, and in the Youth Justice Program, I focus um, predominantly on campaigning um, and awareness. And so I do a lot of the storytelling and the narrative shifting that um, we think is necessary for Southeast Asian and Hmong youth voices. And so um, what that means for me is like doing a podcast, I usually bring on guests and we talk about these um, very necessary um, topics that affect our Southeast Asian and Hmong communities. And right now we're doing it on generational change um, because the, the intergenerational disconnect is something that we see heavily in the Southeast Asian um, and Hmong communities being that our parents came as refugees. We experienced a lot of intergenerational trauma um, and intergenerational disconnect. And therefore like, how do we move forward um, and still um, strive to pursue our American dream while also um, being closely connected and feeling closely um, related to our cultural identity and heritage. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You do a lot. Wait, question. When did you start working with um, HIP? Yeah, so I started about two years ago. So I think that was like back in um, the end of my junior year, um, like 2019. We've been doing a lot for two years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. like, um, what are you most proud of out of everything? I think for me, I've been a community organizer for actually like a long, long time. So, I started like before my sophomore year of high school. So, I've been um, organizing for four years now um, with other organizations. But I think what um, HIP has really done for me was allowed me to. Um, create my own passion projects um, in which they support and fund like full fledged and like what that means is like you know I've been a community organizer so I've been doing like um, other um, I've been doing work around like these larger topics so working around like um, measure p working around like these ballots and initiatives um, and policies but then um, when I joined HIP then they really encouraged me to um, create my own projects and to be able to um, to teach me how to make these ideas and projects I have in mind come to fruition. And so they really like taught me how to like um, the necessary steps to like create a project, um, how to go through with it, how to like name outcomes and purposes, um, and also like name process or like the process that we have to go through. Um, I also got really good at like doing timelines, but also like reworking timelines, like as we see fit um, to be flexible. Um, and I think like that's what I'm most proud of is like going forward, even though. Um, I will be like moving away from Fresno um, to off to college, then um, I still will carry the skills and um, the knowledge to 
create my own passion projects um, by myself um, and know that it will be like a complete well-rounded project um, where there are like little to no um, things that are like being left out and that needs to be considered. You know, you're going in, you're moving away from Fresno and mm -hmm. I'm wondering, do you have any plans to expand your work into Stanford? Like, or, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think um, a little like context about like California in general is that I come from um, rural California. So that's like Fresno, that's the Central Valley area. Um, and over time, like it's like overlooked a lot by the larger cities of like the Bay Area um, or Los Angeles, right? Um, especially in like the organizing and um, activism and politics realm uh, is not as like progressive um, and like our gears don't shift and work as fast as those other um, places in California. And um, for like continuing my work, I think um, it goes with a lot of um, always still being connected to Fresno. My family has like been here ever since they resettled um, in America has been in Fresno. And so going to like Stanford and being able to be surrounded by firstly just like Stanford resources, but also having like the surrounding area of like the Bay Area where community organizing, especially for youth um, is so important and is so um, like ingrained in like their culture up there, like in San Francisco, um, in those areas, then I think I'll be able to like gain um, a lot um, it'll also lead me to be closer to like the Sacramento capital um, in California. Um, and therefore, like, I think I'd also be able to get a lot of um, great resources for myself. Um, and then also, like I said, like there's like another office up there too. So I won't be too far away, um, maybe just like yeah. shift offices too. Um, but I think what I'm really looking forward to do is um, gaining the skills that I couldn't get in rural California and how to bring it back and implement those into my organizations. Um, use the more... I would say flashy tactics that I, I've seen a lot of um, Bay Area organizers um, use and how to create those changes um, here in the Central Valley as well. Um, definitely, I will be taking um, my organizations and what I've learned um, up there to Stanford and that area with me. Um, I think a great thing that I've learned here in Fresno is um, the value of space and creating that intentional space. And so like what that means is um, me being a part of like um, creating the first, um, like the first Central Valley um, Hmong and Pua organization and um, how to like create curriculum, how to create spaces like healing spaces um, and, and educational spaces that, um, that the community really needs. Um, so in terms of like intentional spaces, um, that's like been a big part of my organizing. And I think that um, is going to serve me well at Stanford. I love that. <laughs> The passion, I admire it. Um, circling back, it's mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that you'll hopefully be carrying with you to Stanford. Um, HipCast. Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell us about that. Like, what's I know you mentioned it earlier, but like, mm -hmm. um, what are one or two things that like stood out from the conversations you've had so far? Yeah, HipCast is definitely like a very special and important thing for uh, me and my and my communities. Um, I think. Something interesting to note too is that a lot of the overall like hip audience and hip member community members are um, adults, um, being like parents um, and like also elders. Um, and this youth space and these like youth um, organizing that we're doing is all like very new. Um, and so I think what's super important to note too is that like even though this is like a youth led podcast um a lot of our audience are like the parents and the elders and we use that to like our advantage to um 
teach them and educate them about these like topics. Um, I think one thing for HipCast that's super important is that we have the conversations that um, we aren't necessarily able to have or have never like had space to have with our parents um, and with our family members at home, being that there's just like a lot of stigma around like, you know, emotions, especially for the male um, in our community, um, a lot of um, stigma around mental health, about queerness, um, about um, not knowing certain things too. I think that's like a big one of, is that just like a lot of these Hmong youth um, and Southeast Asian youth these days just simply don't know where to start or where to ask. Um, but I think like why I always tell them, even like before and after like the hip cast is that we are part of the community. So like um, what we say and what we do um, does reflect directly to like the Hmong communities, right? Like some things that really like st stuck out to me um, in terms of like things that have been said um, is definitely like the fact that um, is that like for queer Hmong individuals because they don't have like a role um, in our Hmong community being that there's like a lot of gender roles then therefore like they're seen as like useless, right? Like they seem like they can't contribute anything because they're not, um, they're not a woman who is serving the men at the table. They're not um, the men or the man of the household um, to be able to create their own bloodline and their own family and create that um, continuation. Um, but we just exist here and therefore like, it causes like a lot of um, feeling of like unwelcoming and like unbelongingness um, that we felt a lot. There was one episode I watched specifically and I think you might've mentioned it briefly. Um, I think it was season two, episode two. I think it was about intersectionality, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, I really liked that one. You know, I, obviously I'm not Hmong, but like there were some things, what you said just now, what you said in that um, interview made me really think like, um, you may already know, I'm, I'm like from like a rural, mostly rural cities, towns mm -hmm. in Georgia. So definitely some things I could see, um, you know, in my own family that mm -hmm. lack of attenuation and stuff that, um, but it's really amazing that you're speaking on it. So yeah. going back to that, how has that specifically influenced um, what you're working towards? Like, how does that tension like motivate you or mm -hmm. um, maybe even hinder you in some ways, challenge you? But also how do you, um, do you ever like take your work back to face that? Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, so a little bit of context about um, the episode that Timotheus is like sharing about. Um, we talked about the queer hung intersectionality um, and how intersectionality looks. Intersectionality um, can can look like. Um, we specifically focus on like on our on our hung and queer intersectionality, talking a lot about like the hung community. Um, but then, even though we um, center around like our Southeast Asian and hung identities, um, the concepts and stuff that we talk about are like really real in a lot of other um, different communities, especially like communities of color. Um, you could like span it out to like the Asian umbrella to um, the BIPOC um, communities, all of those things. Like we talk about patriarchy, traditional values, um, gender roles, uh, masculine femininity, um, things like that. Um, about like queerness being a Western idea. Um, we talk about like immigrant, refugee um, stories and things like that. So it's all, um, like, I think even though Timotheus isn't um, Hmong, right, you're still able to take away um, some of the things that we say and apply to your own life. And I think that's like also like what's special um, about it too, is that um, in order to create this um, overall, like this like well-rounded like um, 
POC like community where we're able to share stories and coexist within one another and without having tensions between like the black and the Asian community um, without um, all of these things, right? Then um, it's important to like listen to one another even though like it's not directed at you, right? But to be a good ally to listen and to take things away and to be like, hey, we're actually more similar than we thought. Um, with like my own tensions and my own identity, my own family, um, a lot of times people think it's weird because I'm not actually out to my parents, um, but then they see me like out in the community, like naming myself as queer, doing this work, talking about it and being so um, um, like well-spoken about it, even though being closeted at home, right? Um, and I think for me that brings into, when people ask me like, oh, like how is that even like possible? You know, like what have you done? Like, why are you like so different to where you could be closeted at home, but still um, know yourself so well? And what I say to that is that, um, this is why a lot of my work and a lot of my passions come from community organizing and the intentional spaces that have been built in it. Um, it goes to show how important they can be to um, communities, um, to, to young people who don't have spaces at home to explore their queer identity, to have spaces to, to um, get help um, for like their mental health and um, to be able to like grow into like the leaders and the artists and um, like to be whatever they want to be the community organizations and, and the intentional spaces really create that space um, and really center um, young people and their wants and their um, and support them in any way that they can to make sure that um, that they're able to grow up to be like their fullest selves um, and that's why like for me like tensions and stuff have been building up within like my own household within like my own queer and intersectionality um, I've come out to my siblings and stuff like they're super supportive of me um, but I think me about to like leave in like two months to um, college, I definitely want to like come out too. And I think that's been like something that I've been like walking around and like figuring out like how I want to do it. Um, but I think too, it goes to like um, the aspect that one, one of these days I like need to choose myself and I don't know when that day will be, but um, I want it to be soon. Um, also it goes with like within like my own little family dramas like it's also been like very hard for me to like accept it and to even like think about it because uh, my father struggles um, with mental health and even though like we don't name it right um, like he deals with like that depression and that and those suicidal thoughts and um, a, a lot of these heavy things that um, my my community doesn't shine light on um, that's so real within like our own um, communities and within our own families but we just don't talk about and we choose to ignore right um, that's been like especially hard for me to um, be like is my identity going to be the tipping point for my father? Um, how will he react? Things like that. Um, and therefore, like, I think like it has hindered me in a sense where um, even though I want them to like understand me and the work that I do um, and to like just see me, um, it's also difficult because then there's also so many layers that come with my family and with like a lot of other families in general that um, it's just hard to like get past those barriers. Thank you for being so real with us. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, you've been at, you know, this a lot longer than I have. And even so, you've been doing it while, you know, dealing with the struggles you have at home, which, you know, I, like many people, I'm impressed by accomplishments, even more impressed by people who overcome adversity to achieve, you know, above and beyond. I think you really have done that. And I mean, that's amazing. And going back to what you said in the very beginning um, about relating to people of different cultures and things, I think that's really what The Bulge is about. You know, mm -hmm. our central belief is that 
we are more similar than we are different. And I think this conversation just like so far has really shown that. And I mean, I love it. Yeah, definitely. When have like, when, like, when do you see like these phone individuals being like represented around America? Um, even like more funny how y'all like are in Georgia um, or like y'all like um, some of y'all like are in Georgia and things like that. And like how I'm like in California and we're able to like connect um, and you all like give me like this platform and this space to like speak about uh, my own Hmong and Southeast Asian identity, something that like I have never been like reached out before to do. Um, so yeah, thank you so much to you both too and to your whole team um, and to um, your organization for allowing me to be here. No, no, thank you for, you know, speaking out on all these kinds of things. And I just wanna add, like when you're talking about that, I'm not queer or part of the queer community or anything, but my parents are Japanese immigrants and mm -hmm. I definitely um, so heard a lot of parallels. Um, mm -hmm you know, to what you've experienced and what I've had to do to like do the work that I'm interested in while mm -hmm. having to, you know, keep some things under the table about what I'm actually doing, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard, but I think in the end it's worth doing what's good for you or what you feel is good for you. So yeah, I, I really mm -hmm. applaud you for doing all this yeah, and good luck. So, you both are very, are probably in some way stronger than I am. Um, just because I didn't do that. Like right now I'm independent. So that's, that's what I'm freely doing what I'm doing. But I think you two are definitely pushing through that barrier, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so um, you mentioned politics as well. A lot of your work is in politics. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I was really impressed by all the stuff I found. So I have a few questions about some of the things you've worked on. Um, <laughs> okay. So first was a, a measure P. So mm -hmm. um, would you like to tell us what that was about and what it did? Yeah, so like in short, measure P is, um, is a tax initiative for Fresno City um, that would, um, as, like, as a tax initiative, it would um, put like a little bit more tax on um, a lot of like the products and things like that. Um, that we have in Fresno, but then therefore it will generate like um, a lot of money, like up to like the billions to um, fund the green spaces um, and the parks here in Fresno, um, especially in South, um, in South Fresno. And so there's like a big disparity within my Fresno city where there's like a lot of um, redlining. And so in North Fresno, we see a lot of like these beautiful place structures, these beautiful like green parks and then in South Fresno being like the lower income area being having like a lot more um, um, communities of color um, like there is no upkeeping of those spaces um, playgrounds have even become like dangerous um, with like the structures not working properly um, they have become overrun by like drugs and by um, these things that um, that like affect like a lot of our communities of color and but therefore like um it was it's become this like thing that um nobody really wants to go towards um and for and an interesting about like measure p2 is that um this like parks for all campaign measure p is like the actual tax initiative on the ballot to like generate funds to upkeep those parks and to create more parks in the future um but the actual campaign like we called it parks for all campaign and a fun fact it was that it was like actually started by youth at my old organization. And it's been a campaign that's been going for years and years, like longer than like how, how long I've been a part of the work. Um, and why that's so important is because like for a youth um, 
for young people to be able to talk about the issues that they see in their community, for these organizations to be able to create a plan for it and then see it all the way through until it passed. Um, that was like amazing for me. I went on like the more end spectrum of, um, of the work. Um, and so what we did in leading up to like the actual um, voting of like Measure P on the ballot, um, we held these park events where we would go to all these different parks, um, especially in South Fresno. Um, and we would like really try to promote community. We would try to like um, educate the community members about voting, um, how to vote and like why you should vote for like this measure, right? Um, I think it was especially great because like actually a lot of like community members like went out and a lot of them mentioned that it was like the first time that they've come out to the parks in a long, long time. A lot of them had like these like um, super um, like young kids and these like, um, and like some elders were even like playing with the kids. We brought all like games, like board games. It's like very large Jenga's and connect, connect boards. We held community um, events um, and games like kickball and basketball games, um, things to really bring the community together. Um, and, and we've done that. We continue to do that like bi-weekly. So like every other week we'll like go to a park um, on a weekend and like hold these events. Um, and it was like really, Draining to do a lot of times it was really hot, um, but we knew that like the purpose that it was for. When it actually got to like the time of voting, then um, it failed to pass with a 52% vote um, on, of yes. Um, and the reason why was because they said because it was like a tax initiative, then like it needed like two thirds of a majority to pass. Um, my organization was not like was calling BS on that, um, so they took it through like the courts and the legal action that they needed to do. Um, and this was back in 2018. So in 2018 um, was when it was actually on the ballot. So it kind of went quiet for a little bit. I continued to like do the work behind the scenes of like talking about like, oh, like what are like some alternatives that we could do to like upkeep our parks and that for the time being, right? Um, but just in December of 2020, so like not too long ago, um, the court decision was made and that it was it, um, actually um, is able to pass with the 52% um, majority of yes votes um, because it was like a, proposition or it was because it was like a measure brought on by the people by the citizens of Fresno and so therefore it only needed to um, be 50% plus one and so that was like a really great thing but I think that um, even in the times that like in 2018 when the measure was declared as like um, as like loss or something like that um, I think the impact that we made on communities was like a lot stronger than like the actual um, ballot that was made so like now like um, a lot of there's a lot more organizations doing park, parks activism. There's a lot more um, young people um, who have gotten involved with um, with organizations due to this parks um, campaign that we did. There's a lot more um, adults um, who are listening to young people about it. Um, and it's like, a, it has become like a staple um, in like my Fresno community in terms, especially in like the word of organizing um, about like the power of like the youth to um, to like, name issues in the community and to like go full full force and like um and seeing it through and getting it passed i'm glad that it you know it all went successful in the end after yes. after they're trying to fight back mm -hmm. that's so cool yeah. <laughs> uh your <wow>. dog wins <laughs> okay um bouncing off of that to a completely unrelated topic mm -hmm. um I know, I think it was July 15th, 2020, there was a board meeting. Was it the um, Clovis Unified, CUS, yes. Clovis Unified School District? 
Yes. Right. There was a certain board meeting and you spoke during that board meeting and you said something. So like, okay, tell us what happened. Why did you speak out? And, you know, what was the outcome? Yeah. So um, if y'all didn't know, the summer of like 2020 was um, was where George Floyd um, was like murdered um, and it sparked like um, a nation, nationwide protest and advocacy and um, and like protections towards like black lives and towards um, our like trans black lives, right? Um, and so a lot of that was going on within like my own CUSD, my own closed unified school district, um, my K through 12 education system that I, that I went through. Um, we, when I first like started in that system, it was um, predominantly white. And so like all of our students were like, why all these like white staff and white board members. Um, and even like, as I continued like on with like my education throughout that unified school district um, and like into high school, that was when it started to shift to be like, um, actually, like quote unquote, actually there was more um, students of color than um, white students now in our district, right? Mm-hmm. But then an issue that I was seeing a lot was that like our staff didn't like reflect our students. Like there can be um, like 52% um, of students of color and like 48% like white students, right? Um, but then um, it goes to like the question of like, what in my own AP classes and my own um, spaces I'm in, why am I always only surrounded by white individuals? Like in my AP classes, um, there's like only white people and like me and a few other like um, students of color. Um, for our staff, all of our staff are white. The only staff that we had like that were not white were like um, our foreign language teachers. And like, that's like messed up. Um, but I, I went to go speak because a, a young person actually reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm planning to go to speak at this board meeting about um, the racism that we have seen at Clovis Unified. Um, and I would like love for your support because I know you do work around it. Um, I, I wasn't even planning on going because I think like me, because I graduated at the time, I graduated um, in May of 2020. Um, a lot of things about CUSDU um, students is that once we graduate, it's like such, we experience such trauma within our own school district that we never want to go back. Like we never want to see the spaces um, of the board members. We never want to like go back and like see our teachers and things like that because it's so much trauma and like we have all been like mistreated so badly um, by our own school district that when we graduate we just want to like continue looking forward onto like bigger and better things right so like that was like where I was at too where I was like I don't want to go back um, but because I was like you know I will support you um, as a young person as my friend as somebody who is trying to like do good I will support you and go with you and so I went um, and I talked a lot about um, what I've experienced in the space being that even though I'm a part of like the quote unquote highest groups that you can be a part of while you're a student in terms of like meeting directly with superintendent um, with the superintendent of the school district and um, with meeting with the principal like every month like all these things right I was never able to actually get through to them like how the severity of like the issues that we're seeing on our campuses um, and it just like kind of bugged me how um, how they would always how they would always like listen to us but not really like hear what we're saying like understanding like the gravity and the weight of like the issues that we're talking about and therefore like every meeting we will talk about the same things or we'll talk about something like slightly different um but then like we will never see the action that came after it um and that was something that um i like as a as an organizer at that time too like it really um bothered me how how like 
because I've experienced it all too well within like people in, in positions of power, um, like using young people as like um, tokenizing young people, right? Being like, oh, well, I talk to the students on our campus. I talk to young people. Um, and like, you know, thinking that like just having like this, like these few meetings with them is able to like um, say that you understand them or that like, you know, what's best for them. Um, that was something that I like found really wrong. So I spoke about it at the board meeting. I, I called them out directly being that I didn't graduate, being that I graduated already and I wasn't a student anymore. Um, I was able to talk about these like really difficult things that a lot of students wouldn't dare to talk about because we know how much power that unified has over our education. Um, even like our, even our staff and our teachers don't have um, a union, like things like that, where like they don't want them to create a union. Um, it's like all of these things, but really like I talked about um, young people being overlooked. I talk about how I have been giving them um, solutions to all these problems for years. I talk about ethnic studies. I talk about, you know, like if you're not gonna do it, the least you could do is allow our ethnic and cultural clubs to do it for you. Like we are willing to do the work for free, but you're not passing any of the things that we want to see. Like you can't even give us the gym for um, one day to hold this cultural practice event that we want to teach for our students because you think um, that, you know, it's it's not needed for a gym and we should just do it outside, right? Like we're, we want to do the work for you and you're not even like letting us do it. Talked a lot about the staff members too, how a lot of them are um, white and therefore like it creates this, even though the students have now become a majority students of color, the culture around my unified school district still revolves a lot about like white and white supremacy and conservative and like conservative and like conservative um, beliefs. Um, even like on our campus, like we always see like Confederate flags, like people put them like on their, students put them like on their trucks and things like that. And it's like a big slap in the face all the time. Like students don't even safe, don't even feel safe to like walk like through the parking lots and things like that, right? So that was a lot of the things that I talked about. I proposed this, um, a solution of ethnic studies again, as you see, hasn't went through. Um, but I think the main like takeaway from it was that, um, it caused like a lot of traction. Like it got a lot of traction like on Instagram and um, Twitter, like from my own little CUSD um, and Fresno City, Clovis City bubble, um, gained a lot of traction with parents. I received a lot of backlash from it. I didn't care, um, but um, what was able to happen was that students were able to like feel inspired, right? Um, and therefore like, I don't know if y'all heard of like diversify um, our narratives, um, yeah. but it's like this nationwide um, you know, um, like campaign that they're working on to provide more like ethnic studies type course material in the classrooms. And a chapter like was started um, at my own um, closed unified school district where students are like working on that and trying to like diversify um, like the curriculum. Um, right now, like a lot more students are going out to the board meetings to talk and things like that. Um, and so like, it was a really interesting and an eventful summer, um, especially because I was dealing with a lot of um, weight too from um, all the incidents that are going on um, but I think I was able to like push past that a little bit to go speak um, to the board and I think like that was able to inspire a lot more young people and a lot more students to um, go and do that as well. Yeah I mean I well first of all I heard I never really thought about the whole like tokenizing young people. I think 
it might have been until you posted about it on Instagram. I believe that's when it, when I read about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. this really does happen. Um, you know, far too often people care to admit. So, you know, thank you for speaking on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely has been like a big part of like me transitioning from like a young person to like an actual like adult um, and wanting to continue working with youth and continue providing these spaces for youth um, to like stop like this tokenization that we see a lot of the times. Um, it's like, I think it's like another form of gaslighting, like to be honest, of just like, you know, giving them this, giving them like quote unquote a space to like talk about these things, but never following through, always being like, oh, well, like that's like a personal thing. And, you know, that's not reflective of like our whole unified school district or yeah. our whole community, right? Like a really bad form of gaslighting where it's like, you sh- like they make you feel as if you should be honored to be in that space. But then like there are like no outcomes and there's like no mm-hmm. point. Um, and it, in the end, like you end up just like feeling like crap. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I similar, not as bad, but we don't have like repeated incidents, but there was an incident at my school. Mm-hmm. Really frustrating when they kind of like brush it off. Um, it was, it was kind of complicated, but there was like a one pretty bad incident and they just try to brush it off. And like our, our school and our district obviously isn't as conservative as yours, but um, it was still kind of like weird to see how they handled it. And didn't. Mm-hmm. they say they had like, um, after the incident, they had like these little like meetings with the students, I guess, but I don't really think anything came out of those at all. And like, you know, and, like, and then we have like a black student union and like a LGBTQ club too. And I guess they use those as like, oh, we already have these. So it was kind yeah. of frustrating. Yeah, definitely. I think like, it's just like more to like my unified school district, but and how they handle things, but it got like, I was the most livid I've been on campus was when they held a meeting with like student leaders, quote unquote. Um, And they told us to start posting good things about what's happening on campus, like all the club events that we're doing and stuff to try to like, (laughs) to like bury like all of like the racist outlash that um, that, like, like that they get right to try to bury that like in the news. So like when you type up like Clovis Unified School District, like, racism as an issue isn't a thing but instead you see all like these clubs and I thought that was like the most like biggest slap in my face and I like went at it with my principal um, at my school about it (laughs) and they didn't appreciate it but I was like that's so messed up like um, that's just like goes to like show like the weight of like how conservative my school is and how um, like toxic and unsupportive they are of like our students of color on campus to not even like allow um things that happen on campus to like our, um, to our black students, um, to be, um, like even shown like on the news or want to be shown on the news. Yeah. I mean, in my school, it probably wouldn't like, we have some bad schools out there, don't we? (laughs) Like they wouldn't even have like entertained the notion of having organizations, Mm -hmm. um, which I guess, I don't know, that's like, it's conservative, but it's not as, as offensive as it is to have organizations as like a token and you know, not go any further than that. It's kind of like modern day racism mm-hmm. where you don't have it on the surface. I think I had like old school racism in my school, right? You have like modern day racism, it's not on the surface. Um, they try to pretend like everyone's happy and healthy, but they know what's up, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's so messed up. <laughs> um, and okay, in your speech at that board meeting, I heard a great quote at the end by Sada Shakur. Um, mm -hmm. Is she one of your inspirations? Or, and if not, like, who would you say has been like one of the major motivations for the work you've done? I think like a lot <clears throat> of like my role model, I just say like our activists, like in general, like especially like looking back to like all of their wisdom and things that they have to share about doing the work before me and me reading a lot of their quotes and like really being like, dang, like that's so true. I think, um, I think that one, um, I think like, oh my God, why am I blinking on it? Things like if they don't like give you a seat at the table, like you need to bring a folding chair. And I think that's so true, like as an activist and as a young person to like continuously, like just like, you know, be there whether they like it or not and to continue to voice your opinions. I think um, a lot of times in my experience, there are a lot of community members who are activists but don't call themselves activists. Um, I think one that's super important to me is Bob Moore. He's a, um, he was a English professor at UC Merced. Um, he passed like not too long ago, but I had like the opportunity to listen to him um, and to listen to him speak. And he was really like encouraging young people to write. He was like, you need to write your stories because, <laughs> you know, when you die, are you going to let somebody else write it? Like who's going to write it for you? Um, he's like a Hmong, he's like a Hmong, um, he's like an older Hmong um, guy that um, is like super in tune to like the Hmong heritage and culture, but um, he like speaks English fluently. He's like, an, he teaches English, you know, like how amazing, right? But um, he's also like one of my biggest inspirations and one of like the reasons why I started to like write more um, and started to like storytell more and started to like think about myself like in a, in a different light when I write. Um, and so he's definitely like a big inspiration for me too. I think it's so, like as of right now, like activists, community members, everybody. Um, I think another like really sad motivation in my life is um, definitely, um, definitely, um, those individuals who have like passed um, away. I know there's like um, a Hmong lesbian um, um, girl who committed suicide um, not too long ago. Um, and to me, it showed like the weight and like the severity of like the issues within like my own queer Hmong community. Um, and to me, I thought it was crazy how we both because I used to suffer like with depression and suicidal thoughts too. So I just thought it was crazy how like we both sat like on the same fence, um, but one of us went one way and the, and the other one went another way um, or like fell on like the other side of the fence, right? Um, so like my inspiration comes from literally everybody and everything, a lot of activists, a lot of my community members, um, a lot of those who like have passed, I think, um, not to like leave this on, like on a sad and sour note, but um, I think like a lot of times people don't, people don't think that, um, that like community members have the power to like change lives, like how celebrities and how activists do. But I think like their knowledge and their wisdom and their experiences and what they bring to the table is just as important because at the end of the day, I like to think that before um, we're all like who we are and all of our titles, like we're all just coexisting as like community members 
as global citizens like in this world right i mean i think like a lot of people tend to forget that yeah that that's that's a really that's, good point that's deep <laughs> yeah so deep yeah and anyone listening i would recommend like like as you said you know i, I don't even know or um later you can send me those activists names but like when you look into the history of like the 60s and 70s like there's a lot of not crazy like um unexpected activists and like really interesting um you know work done so i recommend anybody to check out like your culture or you know just any activism in general in america from like 60s and 70s and there's some really inspirational stuff so yeah <clears throat> that was that was powerful this is a powerful conversation um shifting gears a bit to the like our last question um mm -hmm. we're gonna take that power to the next level and this might be the hardest question that you have to answer but we think it's a necessary question to ask for all of our viewers what is your favorite dessert and why oh that is like actually a really hard one <laughs> oh, i only say that because i'm more of like a meals person mm. like i eat like I think it's just like with like within like my own home community too, but like our breakfast and like breakfast, lunches and dinners and desserts are all like meals, like full-fledged meals. And I say that as like kind of a joke, but like that we have like in our Southeast Asian community, that's like, we don't snack, but we just eat um, desserts though. I think that's so difficult. Oh my gosh. Dessert. What's even counted as, as a dessert? I don't even know. Um, I would say it's like, see, that's like a drink though. What? <laughs> um, we call it like Nava. So it's like a lot of these like little jelly things, um, and like coconut milk and like, it's like a drink though, but mm. I'm gonna count it as a dessert cause it's super sweet and I like to have it after yeah. my meals. I mean, uh, milkshakes are technically a dessert, yeah. but also a drink. So I say it counts. Yeah, yeah. I say it counts. It like, it bad, it's like Search close it enough <laughs> yeah okay thank you okay um so charlie let's say we have our viewers want to reach out to you or want to see um the work you've been doing keep up with you in the future or your organizations where mm -hmm. should they look on instagram i use instagram most frequently on instagram you could find me at chill c-h-i-l-l -L underscore builds b-i-l-b-s it's it's a childhood childhood <laughs> nickname um and or you could just type in my name um you should find me pretty easily um you spell my name c-h-a-l-i space l-e-e -E. um and for my organizations you could search up um Hmong innovating politics anywhere um and also on instagram you could find um the hip cast at um hip h-i-p youth justice so that's where you can find me and my orgs. We'll try to include all those links down below. Right. Yeah, yes. for sure. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Charlie. And viewers, thank you so much for watching. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.